Hello, and welcome to How About We Do This Together, a podcast ministry of the Northwest Christian Network. I'm Chad Decay, and my co-host is my wife, Becca, and other incredible leaders of the restoration movement of churches. This is a podcast where we cast the net and see what truth we can bring in. Say, how about we do this together? Welcome to another episode of How About We Do This Together. My name is Daniel Malaputi, and I'll be your host for today's episode alongside with... Troy Dean, and I am from Bushnell University. That's right. I am the uh, pastor at First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, and we are live at the 100th, 100th easy for me to say, uh, number 170, 170th <laughs> Uh, edition of the Northwest Christian Convention, live from Turner, Oregon. And we got a great guest today, don't we, Troy? We do. And uh, just real quick for the sense of location, we are in the back of a large white tabernacle Mm -hmm. that is 99% wood. It's actually quite beautiful. The windows in this particular room are actually really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's kind of a cool thing being season two, right? Season two. Of yeah. How about we do this together? So those of you who have been to the tabernacle, if you're looking at the stage, the prayer room on the left, that's where we are right now. And uh, today's guest is a good friend of both of ours. Yes. We're honored to have the uh, lead pastor at Monmouth Christian Church, Sean Bitzer. Insert applause here. <laughs> What's up, Sean? I, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It is a beautiful place, and it's surprisingly cool for as nice and warm a day as it is. We're, we're not just recording getting started. at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> we were sweating last year. Was it last well, year? Last year, even after the convention, in the evening sessions, we were recording, and we were dripping while we were recording. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I canceled my appearance for that one. <laughs> The secret is this year, it's actually fairly, it's like 70s and 80s, but then on Saturday, it's going to hit 90 plus. Uh, This building does not have air conditioning, um, and they do not have good airflow, so they'll stick in the doors these massive box fans and just blow air straight across the room. I feel like I'm sweating just talking about that. Uh, we're honored to have Sean Bitzer here. He is delivering one of the talks this week at the 170th convention, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But Sean, just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you currently pastor, about your community. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I've been at Monmouth Christian Church for 15 years this summer uh, and was became the lead pastor. I initially was the kid's kids intern um, because I don't like working with kids. And so I figured that I should um, figure out why people have an affection for working with kids. And then they offered me to stay and have a full-time job. And so I... Did it help? Do you like kids? um, I like my kids. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, became the lead pastor 10 years ago following um, a really great guy named Stan who was there for over 20 years. Mm. And uh, it's been 10 years in Monmouth and... Uh, we really enjoy it. Yeah, well, I, I got to. I, I got to hear. There's a gap in there. So, kids ministry intern. Yeah. To what? To lead pastor. Uh, so I did everything but women's ministry. So I was the kids intern. We started a college ministry at the same time, and it went well. And so that's where they offered me the full time job was to do college ministry and kids ministry. 
Um, and I tell people, I mean, you'll know this as a, as working at college, kids ministry and college ministry is the same. They like taking naps in the afternoon. And if you feed them, they'll show up. And so that's kids ministry and college ministry are the same thing. And then I transitioned from that to doing college and youth. Um, and then we had a, a bit of a transition season before, uh, before I took the lead pastor position. All right. That's helpful. Yeah. So 10 years at Monmouth Christian church, uh, which means they hired a 20, 26 year old yeah. pastor. And I look at 26 year olds now, dude, there's a lot of faith so in that wait, church. You were lead pastor at 26. At 26. Yeah. Yeah. There were two, there were two people, two probably wise people that mm. voted no. Right. Right. <laughs> Right. Well, it's interesting, right? Because Sean and I have had this conversation where if you would like to have a church where your lead pastor is there for 20 or 30 years, you kind of have to hire someone who maybe on the outside doesn't look like they're ready for that position, right? You mean the churches that have the people who start when they're 60? Yeah, yeah. You got surprised when they're still there at eighty, or they right. can't get rid of them at eighty. Well, yeah. it's one of the two. Half, half of the. <laughs> and you got to take a gamble because because yeah. yeah. there's a lot of unknown in anybody mm-hmm. um, uh, when they're you know under thirty five years old. I've right. never had lead pastor experience at twenty six. Obviously, at twenty six sure. years old, sure. I didn't have a lot of ministry experience. I just gotten married just a couple years before. We didn't have kids. I was living in an apartment. Yeah. I mean, just a lot of unknowns about my mm-hmm. future, and the church took an incredibly huge gamble. I mean, in a lot of ways, they took an incredibly huge gamble, and we could use church words and say, you know, that they were having faith and trusting God and, and all that kind of stuff, but when they sat down for a vote, sure, there were a lot of people that were just hoping that it would work out and it wouldn't be an absolute train wreck, and we know plenty of stories, which is why people are skeptical about hiring someone in their 20s in that sort of senior leadership position where it does go sideways or the person comes in and they are a bull in a China shop and there mm-hmm. ends up with a lot of hurt mm-hmm. of those who've been inside the church for a long time. And, um, but that's not transition's not what we're here to talk about today. I, no. I got a lot of thoughts on no, that. No, but. It's interesting. <laughs> I, I do want to ask you this since we're here and we're talking about it. Um, there's someone listening to this pod who probably has uh, a 20 something year old pastor right now. Yeah. Like what advice would you give a church member? Right who is in a church that they love with just a younger pastor? How do they love them? How do they support them? Like, just give us, yeah, a couple of thoughts on that. I think I, actually, last time I spoke at uh, the convention, they asked me to kind of talk about this. Mm -hmm. And I had a couple guys in my life that were unwavering champions for me Mm. at the cost of their own reputation, um, they leveraged the credibility that they'd built with the church to advocate for me, not knowing if things would work out. Um, they lost friendships because mm. of decisions that I made that they supported me in that they may not have themselves wow. personally agreed with. You know, I mean, they were all stylistic. It wasn't like, you know, do we believe in the Trinity or not? You know, that it wasn't those kind of things. But right. it was, you know, music decisions, kids' ministry decisions, you know, mm-hmm. leadership hiring, structure, probably. hiring, yeah. finances. And they had people that they'd gone to church with for 20 years that left the church during that kind of two or three-year transitional season you have when you change from one generation of a leader sure. to another. And... um I'm only now beginning to fully appreciate the kind of sacrifice that they made. But my, my predecessor stuck around for, 
Um, we had a six month transition and then he stuck around for another nine months as part of the plan. Mm -hmm. And all he did for nine months was go out to lunch and coffee with people and try and champion me. And, and the thing about that, that I, I have only really begun to appreciate as I have ownership in 10 years of what the churches look like is every single decision I was making to change something Mm. was changing something he poured his heart in to make happen. He, he sacrificed wow. so that it could be that way. And then I'm coming saying, I want to do it differently. Um, and he really, in a lot of ways, was willing to sacrifice his legacy um, uh, and friendships. And I had a couple guys like that. So I would say um, we being an unrelenting fan and champion for someone will do far more for the church long-term and for you and your involvement in the church than trying to be a critic. Um, Those men, I would listen to any word that they ever said because I knew the sacrifices they made for me. And if any one of them, and they did at times, come to me and say, Sean, we really need to rethink this. Sure. Because of what they had sacrificed for me along the way, I would I would listen to him unwaveringly. Even still today, one of them's a guy named Dave Wildman. Um, if he came into my office and said, "Sean, I really," mm-hmm. um, he's one of the few voices that that I would default to agreeing with him without even really having to process. Like I would wow. say, I know that you're for me in a way that I know that this has nothing to do with your preferences because you've modeled for years. So one of the things we heard last night was Patty Buss uh, and Steve Buss. Patty said something last night, and it felt like it was a passing comment, and it shook me for like 10 minutes, Troy. She said, the the kingdom of God moves at the speed of trust. I heard that, and I typed Bro, it in too. Right? It moves at the speed of yeah. trust. So one of the things I'm hearing Sean saying is between uh, the choice you have is to be a fan or to be a critic, both of those are choices. And if you can establish that trust with your pastor, yeah, it's amazing what you can. Yeah, and they, and they leveraged the trust people had in them mm-hmm. for me who had not earned the trust of people. Yeah. True, but, but here's, here's the thing that I think the bigger picture, because I was asking these questions earlier because I was kind of searching for like what's – there's a context in which this can happen. Yeah, yeah. And then they were the ones that allowed it to happen. Yeah. Right? So the – the context in which this can happen is a church that's already hiring young and putting yeah. people into positions with trust yep. and supporting them. You have a lead pastor who not only is willing to like hand off the reins, and it sounds like it was actually a succession plan that was successful. Yeah, yeah. How many of those? Those are like sure. unicorns yeah. in the world right now, right? Yep. So, and he was trusted enough by you and you weren't threatened enough, threatened by it, that he could stay involved and it would always be for the goodness of the church and not just for his reputation Wow! and his legacy. So yeah. you have, that is incredibly unique and mature mm-hmm. of an outgoing leader yes. who is willing to stay invested and stay trusting, stay positive, to allow you with the training wheels on mm-hmm. to kind of figure it out. And then he's there to help steady it when, you know, you tumble or whatever else. And there's enough grace in the place from these other leaders that allows you to, yeah, to pursue some 
maybe it's a wild hair every once in a while. Maybe it's a wild hair <laughs> with Sean. <laughs> well, that's my point. Is that again? Yeah. Again, I know what twenty-six-year-old Troy was doing. Sure. Yeah. I was the yeah. lead pastor at twenty-eight right. of a church plant. Sure. During a season in which nobody had training and assessment for church plants, I would have failed. Just so, so, you know, and I and I tried of, starting a church at twenty three. Like, yeah. what were we thinking? Yeah, but but, yeah, but here's the context that allows Sean to flourish. And it sounds like it's a, it, again, if it's if you have a college ministry as a church, I can tell you from my experience mm-hmm. that you obviously have some level of um, of health and consistency of ministry. College students are the least, the last group to arrive in a ministry. Sure. You sure. don't don't put together a college. Yeah, it's not ministry. one of the first things you do. No, because the first right. ones to leave. Yeah, the yeah. Age, they're in transitional yeah. places in their so life. So my only point of saying all this, Sean, is just to say, yeah, I mean, how beautiful that God gave you an opportunity in a place that had these other things available to you and the maturity to allow you to continue to grow. So you can be there mm-hmm. for fifteen years total. Yeah, ten years as a lead pastor. Yeah. So when you think about fifteen. 20, 30 years, um, we're all in ministry. So we all see every, uh, Barna poll that comes out yep. every, every single statistic <laughs> that means the same thing, which is this pastors are leaving full-time ministry. And, and more so in this season, supposedly than in seasons before, which was already epidemic. And now it's almost pandemic. So right? we're recording this, the summer of 2022, 2022, two years and two months post the beginning of the pandemic. So when you think about what Troy just said, yeah, they're leaving in even higher numbers now. Sean, we just want to launch here. Why haven't you quit yet? <laughs> um, because nobody else offered me a job. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there is something about ministry where you become unmarketable. Or something. Yeah, yeah, right, right. You are not at, at that yet. Sean's like, I saying, literally can't I, get another job. I'm so. saying, Sean, you are not in that place. But. I heard that Chandler talk years ago about how, uh, you know, with a Bible college degree, the only other thing you're qualified for is like flipping burgers. Like, wow. <laughs> right. I, do I need to be? I don't. Should I say uh, this? So, I filter? as we're sitting here with the campus pastor of Bushnell University, no, no, I was going to say, or selling insurance. I mean, right. is that, is right. that okay? Because right. yeah. we know the value of life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. No, I would. I, I say it kind of tongue in cheek, but I would say there was a season in the last two years where I was very seriously considering how I get out. Um, of ministry or this particular role? Um, it depended church. on the day. Um, there were some days where I was like, well, maybe different context, different people, fresh start, um, more sunny days. <laughs> right. Can't right. preach that long enough for um, me. So. Would, would make a difference. And then there's some days where I'm like, everywhere I go, there's people. And everywhere I go, there's church. And I don't know that I want to have anything to do with that anymore. Um, so it kind of went back and forth depending upon the day, but there was definitely a season where, um, and, and, and even if I didn't think about getting out, I would say there was a longer season of not sure how I would continue forward. Right. So like, I, it it wasn't always like, well, this is what I'm gonna do instead. It was there. There was a season where I was like, I can't do this for another five years. Um, and I don't know what that means, but I can't. And um, I would say that uh, because because to give some context, ministry is hard for everybody. Um, and 
and ministry is hard for every church. Uh, and the pandemic was hard for every church. And I don't want this to sound like a, a, a wine fest or anything like that. But I think that in a lot of statistical areas, we were, we were hit a little harder than some other churches. Um, uh, we've got a pretty significant mortgage, which creates a really significant financial hangover on our head. And then is this of the church or of you personally for the church, not yeah, my house. Yeah. yeah. I told one time I'm like, Oh yeah. If you want to pay off my $1.65 million mortgage, they're like, how big's your house? Yeah, we're and I'm like, like no, 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 no. <laughs> the church has a $1.65 million mortgage. So that added a significant larger stressor that we have a pretty big bottom line. Yes. Um, um, and we live in a very polarized community. We're in a college town that's in a rural community. So we have very liberal and very conservative. And so the political and racial stuff that happened over the first six, nine months of COVID mm-hmm. was very intense in our community. I mean, we had, we had protests at intersections where literally people would organize a protest on one side of the issue and people would hear that there's a protest going on, so they the other group would organize a protest on the other intersection. And this is rural Oregon, 20,000 people in our community, and they're screaming at each other across the intersection. Wow. And so it became a very hard community to do ministry in. Um, and, uh, and we were on a growth pattern, and, you know, we lost probably 50% of our people. Um, uh, and Almost overnight. Almost overnight. Yeah. Almost overnight. I mean, yeah. it maybe took six or nine months to sure. sort out who was gone. Sure. Um, and and a lot of them were people that I'd walked. I mean, I sat in yep. their living room having small group with people for five or six years, and then no call, no show. And so that was, again, I don't want this to be just kind of mm-hmm. a wine fest, but it was it was a really difficult season. And I would say the only thing that got me through that was uh, relationships that I do have that um, some of them like with a group of pastors that Daniel and I are part of that were just like a weird fluke that ended up sorting out and have been incredibly life-giving and have been a place where I can vent and they can vent and we can challenge each other and we can laugh with each other and we can encourage one another. Um, And it has been incredibly life-giving and meaningful um, and a place where we can weep together over Mm -hmm. things um, in ministry and just in life. You know, I also have some non-ministry friends that they started to hear the statistics. I mean, there was there was one there was one week. My wife and I laughed. There was one week where um, three families in our church invited us over for dinner, <laughs> <laughs> and and it was clear when we were having dinner with them, they were all kind of like, "Uh, mm-hmm. we like ministry sucks, huh?" <laughs> Please, please don't. Do you want leave. some more potatoes? Yeah. By the way, this we've, we've called this meeting together to make sure you're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you right? okay? Right. Yeah. And so there were people in our church that started to kind of catch that wind and really kind of um, uh, be encouragement, support for us. And um, yeah, so I would say it's just been the people I've been able to walk with and not isolating myself. Because in dark times, that's what you want to do. Sure. You want you want to isolate. You want to crawl into a hole. Absolutely. You don't yeah. want to have to have another conversation. You, you know, there was decision fatigue. There was just emotional fatigue. I just didn't want to have to have another conversation with another person. But there are people in my life that were persistent in making space in my life for themselves that um, helped allow me to step out of those kind of dark corners and kind of let things breathe and 
Yeah. So the fascinating thing is like the the thing that um, contributed to even thinking about living. By the way, what Sean has just spoken about the thoughts about um, ending this season of ministry. Um, every pastor has thought about. Every, yeah, yeah. In so the, the, the Barna stat for people who haven't Absolutely. heard, uh, two things that I tell people all the time is that when COVID first happened, David Kinnaman came out and said that one in five churches would close their doors within two years because of COVID. Mm-hmm. In August, he was interviewed by NPR, and they said, you know, a couple months later, they said, do you think it was a little dramatic to say one in five churches? And he said, no, I think it'll be worse. And the quote that I thought was really profound is he said, churches won't run out of money or people, they'll run out of pastors. Um, and then just this last year, they did a... So that was August of 2020. Yeah, right into COVID. Sure. So this last year, uh, fall of 2021, they did a survey of pastors. And I'm not going to remember the numbers perfectly, but they asked the question, um, have you seriously considered leaving ministry altogether? They asked a bunch of pastors. And I think the number was 28% mm-hmm. said yes. Six or seven months later, they asked the same question, mm-hmm. and, they, and they, they pointed out, if 28% say that they're seriously considered leaving ministry, in that period, some of those that said they were left. Statistically, yeah, sure, sure, of course. Sure. Right? Some of those left. They did the study six or seven months later, and it was 37%. And David Kinnaman said that they had not seen something so significantly shift in the mindset of pastors since 9-11. There had been nothing that had had such a social impact on ministry and churches since 9-11. And to think, that means two out of five pastors yeah. aren't thinking about leaving their church. They're thinking about leaving ministry altogether. Yeah, they're not looking for another job in another place right. in ministry. They're yeah. saying, I think I'm done with ministry. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, the, and the one thing that Sean talked about in that contributed to those uh, thoughts was the relationships that needed care. Yeah. But the thing that also has prevented you from leaving the ministry is the relationships you have. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, uh, that's what I meant when I said that, like the, there were people in my life who forced space into my life right? because there were times where I would have just opted to keep punching in the clock in the office. Yeah. Um, and not say anything because it was more exhausting to have to be honest about the exhaustion Right, and that's a and there were people in my life who kept pushing their way in, and and made space for themselves, even if I didn't want space, so that I could have a place to breathe and and uh, and have some safe conversations and process through process through some grief and loss. Yeah. I mean, the church that we were two and a half years ago was a beautiful church that I loved, mm. and and to be honest, you know, had spent. At that point, almost a decade laboring to create, fought, fought, probably not a word we want to use in church, but fought a lot of battles. Yeah, sure, of course, of course. Sure. And sacrificed a lot of things to create a kind of church and a kind of culture that I thought God was calling us to have in Monmouth Independence. Awesome things were going on. The summer before COVID, our church, a <laughs> couple hundred people, gave away, uh, raised ourselves supplies and backpacks for a thousand kids in our community. Um, we, wow. we gave away, we gave away twice as many school supplies as the County did with taxpayer money, right? Like just killing it in three different cities, just awesome stuff that was going on. All that is dead. That church is never coming back. 
And so there was a lot I had to grieve. The, half of those people physically left that church. And as long as I kept wanting to bring back what mm. had been, yeah. I could never lead the people that God had entrusted me in that moment to lead forward in the season we were in. And so there was a grieving. There was a time where I just really had to to grieve the death of dreams that I had for our church, of celebrations that I had, you know, we had in our mind. I mean, pastors may not admit to this, but uh, but I could have told you what Christmas and Easter attendances were going to be the next sure, year. Absolutely. We knew based on our growth pattern, mm-hmm. we had projections planned for how many services we were going to do. And, and just saying like that all, that's gone was, was a grief that I really just had to kind of process through. And I was able to do that because there were other people in my life who forced their way in to force me to have honest conversations, to process and to be there for me, even after I was honest about how angry and bitter and frustrated I was. Okay, so I, I think it's really important to like capture this moment in this conversation because, in my experience, there this is so much of what every pastor is having to do right now. Now, I, I'll, I'll grant for the fa- sake of like you know statistical honesty. Outliers, that, sure. Yeah, there's going to be places that did not experience that or whatever else, and maybe are where those fifty percent of people all ended up going. Maybe okay, just for the sake of argument. But in general, so many pastors are experiencing exactly what you've just said, Sean. Daniel, I'm going to guess that you could say an amen to all of that. Amen. So here's, I think, some things that would be really important. First of all, I would love if you're a pastor and you're listening in in this podcast right now to reach out to Sean or Daniel in some way um, just to know that there are people who get it on a certain level but at the same time are willing to listen and help you grieve. Yeah, for sure. if you don't grieve, then I think the leave is even bigger. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I think that I think that's the two different choices you have. You either leave or you grieve. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So and so the process by which you do that, again, it'll be some different dynamics in each context. But we all can admit that a piece of cloth divided us. And at the end of the day, no longer needing to wear that cloth didn't mean that you united us. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Troy. So so at the end of the day, I think we have to we have to own that. Mm-hmm. And what I hear you saying, Sean, which I think is so insightful, so helpful, and so just honest, is that in some ways I think we have to say, and we're gonna have to do it again. Yeah. So again, and I'm not saying that we're a success motive, uh, model or whatever else that no, we're trying no, to get no, back to. No, 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 but we're trying that, to have impact. Right. We're, we're helping people grow in Christ. Yeah. We want them to be good news wherever they live, be blessings to the people they're around, that we are supposed to be people of good news from Christ. So that is still, that one of those outcomes was the backpack giveaways. One of those outcomes are all these different programs. Multiple services. Absolutely. Right. But that is going to have to be, it's, it's a reset, it's a not yeah. what's new. It's a complete reset. Yeah. And, and, and for pastors to be able to go, deep holy breath, I just did all this 10 years, a decade of my life is gone now. And, and again, of ministry and, and, and calling and relationships. Yeah. yeah. And good things happen in those 10 years. That's Absolutely. The thing. That's, That's the, the place I've been able to come. Is since I've been able to grieve, I can celebrate those things. The, the Mother's Day before um, COVID, 2019, we did a diapers and wipes drive. We'd been doing it for a couple of years. And we have this 12-foot long trailer. And we filled that trailer from floor to ceiling. And it, 
and just cram-packed it for families who are in foster care. We took it delivered to DHS for families in foster care. When we pulled up to DHS, we didn't tell them we're bringing a trailer. We just said, hey, we have some diapers. Wow. We want to donate, right? Um, we pulled up with a trailer. They see the trailer, and this one lady who's out there, she goes, oh, oh, oh I got to go with some help, right? <laughs> <laughs> and she runs into DHS, and like half a dozen people come out, and yeah. we unlatch the trailer and open the door, and we couldn't have scripted it better. I open the door, and diapers fall out of the trailer <laughs> yeah, bro. all over the ground. That's amazing, and that's so good. Until I could grieve that that season ended and that we're building something new now, mm -hmm. I couldn't celebrate that. Because when I think back on that, I think with bitterness of thinking the next year was supposed to be better, and somebody robbed me of that. And that's because that's what I would think. I would think with bitterness and anger – to blame other people that I thought deprived me of the opportunity of the joy of the next time doing that. This is the master's class, yeah, Sean, you're really leading is. us through because, and I, I think of like Dallas Willard with some of the things he said, and he talks about how, how do I judge where I'm at spiritually? And pastors have to do this because when I'm unhealthy as a pastor, I immediately look at the people I'm shepherding and being called to love, and I think ill of them. I get frustrated by them, I get disappointed, I get angry and bitter, and then I pull away and I want nothing to do with them. Yep. So that is something that happens in a millisecond in my spirit, and until I'm aware of that and oh, I own that's that, so good. then I can't be a, the pastor that God's called me to be. It yeah. doesn't mean I don't get to be frustrated, it doesn't mean I don't get to be disappointed, but the moment I turn that as a, weaponize it, or I use it as a... Uh, self-protective mechanism in my life, then I've stopped being a pastor in that way. Yeah. And again, and I'm not saying that you can't be frustrated and be angry with people. I mean, the, I think the great lesson that we should point to often is through the Psalms. I mean, the, how many of the Psalms yep. start with anger and grieving, but end up in joy? But it's only because they're crying at the beginning, yeah. God, where have you gone? Yes. What have you done? Like. Yeah. Uh, this wasn't supposed to be this way. Bring like the Psalm, hammer on their heads, God. Like, <laughs> like Psalm, and it doesn't take that long, right? Like Psalms 1 is, blessed is the man who's, you know, and it's this yes. amazing passage about a tree <laughs> standing by the rivers of water. And by chapter 2, it's like, dude, I am surrounded, Lord. I'm not going to make it. How <laughs> dare you put me in this position? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which so, so, so you get a call... At some point this year, Sean, and they're like, uh, Sean, we want to give you a, a slot during convention, really uplifting moment uh, for the convention. <laughs> we want you to walk us through family ministry. And so you get up uh, during convention and you say, family ministry is costly and hard, and then just walk off the stage. <laughs> I mean, that, that's not exactly how it happened. <laughs> that's what it felt like it happened. Right. So, so first of all, the thought process of I'm going to address pastors and ministry leaders and, and churchgoers on the subject of family ministry. How did you process that topic, first of all, before we get to the meat of what you talked about? How did you process just that discussion? Well, I was asked because pre-COVID, you know, we had to go to... You mentioned earlier about multiple services. We had to go to two services, not because of our auditorium, but because our kids' ministry, because we ran out of space in our kids' wing. Oh, wow. And so 
we had a killer kids. And again, that was another thing to grieve. Sure. We had a killer kids ministry. I mean, the place was nuts. One of, one of my elders at the time, his name was Butch, and he would talk about just about every single time anyone would complain about ever, anything. Mm. His go-to line was this. He's like, I was an elder when I would walk through that hall and I could count how many kids were on one hand. Yeah. He said, now there's yeah. over 120 kids in that kid's wing every single weekend. Yep. And so whatever we're doing, it's worth that. It's worth it. Right? Yeah. Right? So so as I was processing, it was really thinking back and taking audit on all the things that it cost us um, and all the hard it was to have something really beautiful. And I think we do a disservice to ourselves and to other people when we come to things like this and we say, you know, well, if you just hire another person or if you just do this and if you just pray more, then then it's going to be awesome. And we just hit the highlights, right? We, we make like the top 10 list of ministry in that area, mm. and it's just fun to watch instead of the grind of off-season practice, the grind of recruiting, the grind of film study, and all those types of things. And, and I think that ministry is hard. We talked about that at the beginning, and it will just get harder. And if we can't be honest with ourselves about that, we're just setting ourselves up for failure. I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. Right, I, I, I. You're a big dreamer. You have big ideas, passionate and dreams. Did you say and internal so, or ex or eternal? Eternal, eternal, eternal. So, 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 I would say this, and this is maybe a little side, but to get is, um, I think the best days of the church are what's left in ministry for me. Like, I think that when I'm to the end of my life, I will have more joy and celebration over the years that are remaining. But I think the years that are remaining are going to be harder, and we are going to be more and more of a minority, and there will be more churches that close their doors. In fact, just this morning, I was having a conversation with a pastor in our community, and we were talking about kind of the state of our church and our community. We're a small community. We're one of the most unchurched counties in the state and one of the most unchurched states in America. Um, there are uh, 11 evangelical churches in a town of 22,000 people. My father-in-law is in Missouri. There are 114 evangelical churches in his town of 21,000, yep. right? So it's, it's, we are in an unchurched mission field, right? But we were talking about when I took over 10 years ago, um, I know of at least 10, probably 12 or 13 full-time pastors that were in our church employed by the evangelical churches in our community, right? This morning we were doing an audit and we think there's five full-time pastors in our community. For those churches you already mentioned? Yes, for those 11 churches. Mm. And when I took over, there was 15 evangelical churches in our community, and now there's 11. I think that ministry will get harder and harder and we will be more and more outliers, and we will be more and more of an unrespected, uncared about, disregarded minority, and I think it'll be the most beautiful season for the church that I get to be a part of because I think that the contrast of the church community will stand that much more vibrantly from the culture we're a part of as the Judeo-Christian ethic that undergirds so much of what we understand our culture today as the faith behind that becomes more and more unfamiliar to people, mm-hmm. that will crumble 
and there'll be more and more chaos and more and more pain and more and more confusion, and the church will stand so starkly different, where a lot of times, especially like in the South, I went to school in the South, lived in the South for a while, there's a lot more like church culture, there's a lot more, but in the Northwest, as the God of the Bible and Jesus and grace and mercy and his love is so unfamiliar to people, our culture will drift further and further to a place where the Christian faith... In fact, I, I, I read this book just recently. It's a really great book um, called The Triumph of Christianity. Have you ever read it? It's written by an atheist. And he says, he grew up in the church. He says, I don't believe anything about the Christian faith, but I've always been fascinated. And, and he talks about in the beginning, in the preface, he said that there's been nothing in human history that has had such an impact on our world and on human history as the Christian faith. So he's always been fascinated by how this thing of a bunch of Galileans in a nowhere place, uneducated, changes everything that we know. And he says everything's undergirded by the Christian faith. Human rights, everything. And as that becomes more and more unfamiliar, the church will stand in more contrast. And he said this, which I didn't know. I have a cross-reference, but I'm going to quote him anyways. Dude, I love single source Okay, you ready? Uh, information. He says this. He says, the name Christian began as a political title. He said, uh, he said it, the, even the language is to contrast like Herodians, which was a political party. And he says that basically, you know, it says in the Bible that they're first called Christians in Antioch. He said that what they were was so unfamiliar that they couldn't get them to fit in any of the categories. So they had to make up a new political party for them. Now, I'm not saying that we should become a political party. That's not what I'm... But I'm saying... The thing of what it was to be a part of the church was so different from everything else. They went, mm. well, they're not them, and yep. they're not them, yep. and there's something different. And so I think the, the coming years is going to be incredibly hard, but we have the opportunity to be so incredibly different um, that we're just an incredible shining light in the community, and, and I think God will do incredible things in that. So to say that... Everything will be hard in the coming decades. For sure. And family ministry will be no exception. Uh, uh, you know, family ministry is always costly. It, it almost never pays for itself. <laughs> right. I mean, almost never is in like, unless there's like one grandparent who's like, because you have a nursery, I'm writing you a big check. Like right. it, it doesn't pay for itself. Yeah. Um, it takes decades of investment to see fruit from what you've poured into. A lot of times... A lot of times, what's that whole, um, uh, um, we're planting trees that other generations will sit under? Yeah. yeah. Right? Or building a bridge over a river that right. somebody else will walk on? Yeah. yeah. And so so I'm pouring into people and families who in years to come will move away to other communities. So even if... Yeah, even, the fr you won't even get to see the fruit. Yeah. Or enjoy it. Yeah. Or yep. observe it. Yep. They'll graduate high school and they'll leave to go to college somewhere else. And I'll yeah. be like, oh, we spent 20 years pouring into this kid. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and that will be most of it. Um, uh but it's but the the challenge that I gave at the end was was this, is that um, a, a quiet nursery, a quiet kids kids ministry is is like the canary in the coal mine. Um, wow. A church may be financially oh strong, and attendance may be financially strong, but as soon as the kids wing is quiet, you're deciding that you will be the last generation of that church. And I pastor a church that's 167 years old. How? 
big a failure would it be for me to be the guy who leads the church after almost 200 years and it ends with my generation. And so, yeah, right now I've got kids. And so you could say, well, you care about kids ministry because you got kids, but kids ministry is, is just a, it's a heartbeat of a church and we have to continue to pour into it and it will always be costly. Um, but the, the reward of being a part of the kingdom of God and seeing the next generation own and carry the faith forward would be worth it. I mean, it'd be worth, it'd be worth all of my life Mm. to see the next generation carry. I mean, that's what we all want, right? Whether it's with our own kids. So when you think about the church and we think about the kingdom of God, I feel like I've had to remind myself so much in the last two years, especially Daniel, do you believe in the kingdom of God? Do you, like, is that a face-to-face reality for you? Because if so, it means you pour into areas that you may not see fruit. It means Mm -hmm. that you invest in people that may not be able to uh, invest back into your life at that moment. Yeah. It means having a eternal mindset where so much, when we talked about it earlier, all the markers, not all, but some of the markers that we have are tangible markers that are right in front of us, whether it's attendance or offerings or multiple services or backpacks, whatever those tangible markers are. And so to shift that mindset where we don't discount those markers altogether, but we also embrace a mindset that says the math doesn't make sense here but I choose to invest here. Can I, uh, in the, I know we're about ready to close this uh, segment. The passage of scripture that comes to my mind as we're having this conversation is uh, the story of the parable of the sower. In the First season. verse of the podcast, those of you keeping score. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we referenced Psalms. No, no, oh, yes, my bad. Yeah, we yeah, did yeah, yeah, reference yeah, Psalms. Yeah. All right. But, but here, and here's the reason why I want to tell this one. And, and if those who are listening, you might be very familiar with this particular, uh, the parable that Jesus tells. But he basically tells the story. He says that the, the, the sower goes out to the fields and he sows the seed. And um, when Jesus is describing this, um, parables were meant to be figurative stories that, that revealed you know, truth about the kingdom of God and who God is and his character and all those kind of things. And oftentimes, they were those things that he knew that he was teaching by what we would call abduction instead of deduction or induction. Like later on, you're going to go like, oh, okay, all right, that's what he meant. And so, but his disciples ask him about this particular one, and so he actually gets a chance to explain his parable. It's, it doesn't happen a lot in Scripture, but Jesus describes it and does a little class on it. And he basically talks about the unique traits of four different kinds of soil. And for the longest time, I was fascinated by this. And, and most of the time when I preached on it or taught on it, I would go to the different soils and I'd ask people to think about what kind of soil they were and all this kind of things. And it wasn't until later on that I had this like, lightning struck me in the brain kind of yeah. moment, you know, and I had yeah. that aha, kind mm-hmm. of like even in Jesus's teaching of this, I missed the point. Mm. And the point I think, and there's multiple ideas in this particular uh, parable, but the, is this, the sower sowed seed regardless of the soil. That's good, man. Yes, there was good soil, and it produced 30, 60, or 100-fold, as it's mm. describing. And we're all like, well, I want to be that soil. And I, my prayer to God every day is, God, make me a 30, because yeah. I don't think I have the capacity <laughs> for 60 or 100, and I'm okay with that. As long wow. as I'm in the game, sure. I'm happy. Sure. Um, 
but then you know he talks about the, the different foibles or the different obstacles or the different enemies that are in these other soils. But the point is this: the sower could have chosen to only sow That's in good really soil, good. Mm. and he doesn't. He scatters it. I mean, he's almost ridiculously careless. Yeah. It's on the road. It's in the rocks. Yeah. If you're a farmer, you know it's not going <laughs> to grow there. That's so good, bro. Right? Yeah. So at some point you're like, oh, he just gives goodness everywhere and to everyone. And he's, like, he's, he's, like, uh, he's like us on Halloween. Everybody gets candy, bro. Yeah, everybody does, bro. Unless, unless your wife buys the really expensive ones. And I'm like, you can't just give those out to everybody. Yeah. No. It's not about the soil, though. It's about the sower. It is. That's it beautiful, is. Bram. And so at the end of the day, I think in the category of family ministry, whatever ministry looks like, we can't get discouraged to stop sowing generously, broadly, ridiculously, almost carelessly. Yeah. The good news. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. We 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 stole from Life Church. We have on our wall um, that uh, um, that we want to be excessively generous. That we really believe you can't outgive God, and 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 that means leveraging everything that you have uh, for the benefit of others. Period. And maybe that's what this next season is. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Great conversation today. A couple of things. If you're listening, uh, grieve grieve something. There's probably something in your life you need to grieve. You need to reach out to someone and process a loss. Um, Connect with someone. If you're a pastor, I really appreciate what Troy said earlier. If you're a pastor and you don't have someone you can grieve with, um, you can follow, you can find all three of us on social media. Uh, Sean Bitzer, B-I-T-Z-E-R, Daniel Malapudi. Good luck spelling that one. Troy Dean. <laughs> just find us on social media. Send us a message and just say, hey, I listened to the pod and I'd love to talk about grief or, or that. And then accepting the realities that we are the sowers. I think it's just a beautiful conversation. At the end of this podcast, you're going to get some information on how to listen to the rest of these conversations live from the 170th Northwest Christian Convention. This is season two, so we invite you to listen to some episodes from season one as well. We love you. And until next time... How about we do this together? This episode was produced by Austin Schumacher. Theme written and performed by Scott Riggin. How about we do this together as a podcast of the Northwest Christian Network, a network of Christians and churches gathering together to serve the kingdom and cast their net across the Northwest. Find out more about our ministries and events at www.nwchristiannetwork.com. I'm Chris Dunning. Thanks for listening.